1: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash.
1: Welcome, everyone, to Rockin' Nation Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Sam Snelling. This is another episode. I believe we're on season four, episode five of Dive Cuts. Uh, I took a few weeks off um, basically to align with my uh, forthcoming uh, vacation going to the hills of Kentucky uh, to celebrate an anniversary with my wife. Uh, leaving other people in charge of rockham nations or anything that happens at the the website for like the next week and a half like don't bother me about it it's not my fault it's someone else's fault just shunting responsibility (laughs) Uh, everybody welcome matthew j harris to the podcast uh, our every time co-host matt how are you
0: i'm doing well um sitting here enjoying uh some Old Forester Prohibition Series 1897 Edition. Excellent. Uh, to, yeah, it's uh not the 1910, not the 1920, um, which people may be more familiar with, but it's 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 still a solid option, and uh, it's been sitting here for a while, and I like it because it's a little bit more of like a um, like f- a little more fruit fruit notes than like floral notes in it, so it's really nice. Um, so it's it, it's pretty good.
1: Uh, I'm a huge fan of the 1920. Um, I've gone through the bottle that I picked up way faster than, uh, I usually go through a bottle and I'm happy, uh, kind of, I sort of won a raffle and I ended up with a backup bottle. Um, so I'm happy I have that backup bottle. It makes me feel less bad about going through, uh, the 1920 as fast as I, I have. Um, I am sipping on an Elijah Craig barrel proof. Uh, it is the B520 mat and it is exceptional.
0: I'm I'm happy you are doing that. Um, We had these two that we, we had two um, Old Forster bottles that we picked up, and these were kind of like the first Prohibition lines they did. The 1870 and the 1897, which, um, like, they're pretty, it's a pretty solid one, like it's in the same kind of price range as like a Four Roses, or a Knob Creek, or even like what should be a Blanton's. Like Blantz, it should be like at fifty to sixty, but it's obviously not. Um, <laughs> but it's a it's a pretty solid um, option to play with. Um, but like you said, the the nineteen ten has kind of become the the more vaunted uh, member of that lineup. Uh, but well, Forster's doing uh, really, really great stuff uh, that, as a revival kind of brand. So um, and they have a nice tasting room in downtown Louisville. Uh, there's some good restaurants so if you're in the neck of the woods you should uh, hit it up Uh, assuming we ever open up again I was
1: gonna say they are currently closed uh, due to uh, COVID so uh, we are in um, you know week what feels like uh, 160 of of quarantining Um, I've been working from home since mid-march I'm still working from home and we just got an email Saying that uh, we are going to continue working from home until probably at least January, uh, so yay for that!
0: Yeah, I mean we've we've known probably since midsummer that we weren't coming back until like f- February of 2021 at the earliest uh, at Indiana University School of Medicine. So we've we've been able to settle into the and accept that we are um, uh, at least I will be working out of my uh, the bunker in my house, and, uh, getting good and used to it, so,
1: but... Like, literally sending tweets from the basement. Yeah, for- I am. Fortunately, not your mother's basement, though.
0: Uh, no, not my mother's basement. Really, though, this is the dog's basement. We call it the Basset Bunker. Um, they have a run of the place, so, um... They just let me hang out down here, work here. They, you know, all they ask for is the occasional, um... um uh, dental chew and uh, belly ropes so they're they're very easy to appease.
1: Yeah, my um, office is on the second floor. I have a, a nice little little perch at the back of the house with a little view of the uh, the outside. So a little better setup than my my setup at home. I don't I don't necessarily miss. I do miss like seeing people, <laughs> uh, but it's overrated. it's very <laughs> Overrated, uh, man. Um, yeah, so we are like we are looking forward to going to Kentucky and and getting out of town, getting a change of scenery. Um, but this has like been like the hardest uh, vacation to plan. That, like, I, I feel like you know me and my wife our our tastes are aligned in a lot of ways, so it's pretty easy to plan for us. Like, you usually just find like a bunch of good restaurants and you just sort of make your plan on when you're going to hit those restaurants. You know, find a few uh, places to grab a good cocktail or a beer, or you know, stuff like that. And and then, you know, a good neighborhood to kind of wander around. And we're usually pretty happy with that. And um, this one has been weird because it's just like, I mean, like restaurants that even are open, like you're not really comfortable going out to eat in because we like, I mean, don't really know what the covid situation is. And uh, so we're going to go to Lexington for a few days and then we're going south uh, for the remainder of the trip uh, to kind of hang out in the woods um, but like, I don't, I don't know what their, what their rate is there. I, I know what it's like in St. Louis. I know it's not great. So, um, yeah, I, it's, it's been a weird vacation to plan. Um, you know, but anniversary, you got to do something, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you could be like my mom and dad today who called me to, uh, say that they're probably going to have to rejigger, uh, our rehearsal dinner in three weeks. So you could be them and they're, they're like, hey, can you clue us in to uh, just, you know, is it safe to eat in public in Indianapolis? So you could be my parents trying to do that. It's, uh, logistics are hard to do uh, no matter what uh, you're attempting to pull off in, in this climate. But um, still, you'll be it'll be good to get out. Um, once you get into southern Kentucky down to the Tennessee border near the Cumberlands, it's really pretty. Um, lots of good hikes. Um, and you can find out-of-the-way places to buy alcohol. So that's always handy
1: uh yeah so i think there's gonna be a little bit of bourbon hunting um going on i've got a a a couple bottles in mind that i'm gonna try to locate uh i I plan on spending a lot of money so um at least there's that you know
0: (laughs) you're gonna you're gonna help the economy you're gonna you're gonna do some consumer spending
1: yeah gonna try um well so we we do have some basketball i mean like they're it's funny that we kind of, you know, we took, I guess last week was supposed to be our scheduled week. You and I kind of chatted, thought it made more make made more sense to record this week, have next week off since I'll not be in town, uh, and then followed up kind of back on a regular, you know, every couple weeks. Um, but what's interesting is, like, nothing happened.
0: Yeah, the teams are just trying to, I think... <laughs> figure out who they're going to play (laughs) next month that seems to be the biggest kink right now is can you find an mte did the mte you sign up for you signed up for a year ago still exist is the field still the same are you going to have to go somewhere else do you want to go anywhere and play on a neutral site out of state are you looking to host your own mte um it's it just seems like it's a it's a free for all right now. The only thing that we are sure of is that Missouri is going to be in the Mizzou, in the SEC Big Twelve Challenge, and they're going to play a full SEC schedule. So that is nineteen games. Um, they can play a max of twenty seven. So what the other eight are potentially the other eight are we don't know or they aren't locked in right now. Um, we'll get to the piece in more depth. A little later on, but um, the athletic C.J. Moore posted his kind of state of the program piece today over at the athletic, which is uh, always a good read and kind of a good uh, primer on friend the of the pod C.J.
1: Moore, friend,
0: friend of the pod indeed. Who also published a helped well, publish a a not so good looking report on uh, Greg Marshall out of Wichita State. There's some ugly stuff that apparently uh, Greg had been doing. Uh, at his program, or at least uh, not treating people the way you would want to be treated. I'll just say it that way. Um, But the one thing, you know, the one kernel in that report, you know, you go through and you kind of see what tidbits you pick up, was if you read um, the schedule analysis section of the report, you can kind of piece together what Missouri's schedule would have looked like had we not been beset by COVID. Um, Missouri, you know, before everything was shot to hell in March, really looked like it was going to have about 10, nine or 10 of its games kind of locked up for the schedule next season. The, you know, we knew they were going to have Kansas and Illinois on neutral floors. We knew that they were trying to go play Wichita State on the road. Um, we've made our feelings on them uh, scheduling Liberty for a home-and-home well-known. Bradley was going to be a home game. Uh... That long-awaited Utah return game was supposed to be on the schedule. I think they were going to play in the Myrtle Beach MTE, uh, and then they were going to have the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Well, CJ's report today made it sound like that they had three other confirmed games with Oral Roberts, Prairie View, and North Dakota, just kind of backfilling the home slate. Uh, So Missouri would have played uh, if the schedule had gone through a minimum of three Kimpom top 50 teams from last year and i believe six teams that were in the Kimpom top 150 last year. So a pretty and that that's before you got to the Big 12 uh opponent who probably would have been a top 100 opponent and maybe another one in the Myrtle Beach invite. So you were looking at eight top 150 opponents and quite a few maybe in the top 100. So it was looking like a a pretty robust non-conference slate for them and before uh, all this shook out um, what Missouri's schedule looks like moving ahead those are going to be worth keeping an eye on Uh, it sounds like Konzo Martin wants to keep uh, Missouri's two rivalry games with Kansas and Illinois on the schedule so if you did that and had the Big 12 SEC challenge you're really looking to fill five dates is kind of what it comes down to here you're going to you need to find five more opponents to fill in the rest of the schedule, um, and it's ha- and like anyone else, Missouri is trying to do that in a way that's expeditious but also safe. So that that to me is the biggest sort of pressing thing right now is just simply who are they going to play, like what who's going to be on the schedule in you know when we tip off in late November.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting, like obviously 2020 is, has just been a year to turn everything on its head. And, and, you know, by this point, we've kind of cleared, uh, like all of the preseason hurdles of, you know, talking about the non-conference schedule. I've got the, the entire conference schedule out to people who are, you know, going through their picks. And my previews are mostly written, uh, as opposed to right now, which none of them are written. Um, Although like you and I like offline have kind of been passing notes back and forth and all that kind of stuff on on what we think all these teams are going to look like and uh, and sort of piecing where we think they're going to fall. So I did kind of put a hit out on Twitter as we're looking for things to talk about. You know what people you know want to want us to talk about and like one of the things was uh, a good frequent listener, Mark Robinson. wanted to know like if we kind of saw this team finishing ninth in the conference like you know the media is predicting and i'm not really sure i think what was it rostine yeah, Rothstein, yeah who had his rankings come out and he had mizzou ninth also yeah. had mizzou is like listed as like a potential sleeper team mm-hmm. um i think that's a fair uh estimation for missouri right now like i i understand why i i don't think it's gonna shock anyone to Uh, that Mizzou might be undervalued um, considering that we don't really know what to fully expect with a you know healthy brimming roster uh, at this point because you know Consul Martin really hasn't had that luxury in three years so you know what are we going to get this year I mean if they finish you know 10th and 6 and 12 with a bunch of injuries like I'm not going to be surprised by that that's if you don't have guys healthy, it's hard to win games. Yeah. Um, you know, but I do think I agree that if you're looking at sleeper teams, I think Missouri absolutely needs to be in the conversation for that because of the fact that, you know, we don't really know what they're going to look like with a, a full season of a healthy Mark Smith and, uh, you know, like improved pray, f- uh, improved play from Xavier, uh, you know, Pinson and, uh, you know, and, and whatever Jeremiah Tillman has become, um, so you know, I I'm, I tend to be a little bit of a, an optimist. I think you and I both are realists. I think I've probably said this before, but I think we're realists. I lean optimism. You maybe pessimism, <laughs> um, but we are both rooted in, in a realistic viewpoint of uh, of what the program is. That's fair, right?
0: It is. Uh, and again, I'm always I'm hesitant to get too far out on a limb. At this point tell we really do have a conference schedule in front of us here. I I do think that yeah, matters. like like
1: placing teams in our, in like you can figure out which rosters you like best.
0: And that's sort of what we've done. I think if you what you and I have done, we've exchanged like notes and and ideas is we I think we've kind of fleshed out tiers of teams based on the rosters that we like. Yeah. I don't know if I could go through today and pick a 1-14 to order, though, just because I need to see the schedule. As, as you've said before, in an unbalanced schedule situation, it really does matter what your composition of home and road and you know where you're drawing your opponents from. The only thing you can ever really say about Missouri is that they're going to play six games a year against Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Texas A&M. And this year, you know, Missouri might be in the same kind of tier as two of those teams, um, Ole Miss and Texas A&M. So, you know, I would be inclined to say that in a normal situation, that's 500 is what you hope for. If you were in those four games that you're going to play, you're going to try and hold serve at home, and you're probably going to likely take road losses. So, And then we'll see what Arkansas is. Um, they've had a lot of turnover, but you know, at best, you could say, like, conservatively, three and three with the known SEC slate right now. It so there's not even really like a lot of hints you can find there in the games you know they're gonna play. Um, I tend to think that this team comes down to, you know, one is Jeremiah Tillman going to put it all together that they need. You know him at his best. He's, you know, out of all the front court options, he's their best one when he's engaged and he's playing well. The team's, you know, overall defensive efforts better. When he's engaged
1: and playing well, Tillman is one of of, yeah the best bigs in the league.
0: Yeah, and that that's a difference maker. You know, for this roster, Um, you know, some people might say, you know, do you look at Torrance Watson? next I, I tend to think you know you can't correlate it really strongly it's more <laughs> anecdotal than anything else but you know you're getting to a, where most guys by the time they're a junior have like you've seen the biggest gains you're going to see are, are probably going to come late in their sophomore year and not to say they won't improve but the the rate of improvement marginally kind of flattens out a bit or levels off as they get older, which makes sense um, for most guys. You know, any physical gains that are there, you know, the gains from coaching, you know, have sort of been maxed out at that point. So if, like, people are looking at Torrance Watson saying, you know, is he a guy who's going to be a 36%, 37% shooter, or should you put him at 32 33 it's probably the latter. Um, yeah. And given what his shot composition is and the role he's played, um that seems like it's more of a specialist and a floor spacer than, you know, an attacking, scoring wing option there. Um, You know, if Mark Smith's healthy, I think you know what you're going to get from him. You're going to get a a really good positional defender. You're going to get a guy who ideally knocks down jumpers and hopefully can play a little bit more off the bounce and attack closeouts and finish with a little bit more strength around the rim. But you kind of know what you're going to get with Mark. Um, Pickett, same deal. You know, Javon Pickett is a guy who is kind of a jack-of-all-trades and kind of, you know, uh, does a really, really good job of picking his spots. Occasionally, he'll have a big night, but you know what you're going to get out of him. And you know what you're going to get from Drew Smith. I really think the other guy that you have to look at is Avery Pinson. Um, people are going to put a lot of stock in that nine-game finishing stretch last season. I think there's reasons to, to maybe, you know... Um, not be dubious but i think that there's some context needed around that finishing stretch but x produced i think that that's the bottom line there the question is is he going to be consistent for 30 games and is he going to be a guy who you know instead of making you know the occasional you know draw dropping pass in transition is he going to be a guy who can just make steady reads out of ball screens can he be a guy who initiates good offense can he do the things that he's going to need to do to be consistent to power the offense around him and especially given how Missouri's shifting to a ball-heavy system that wants to create shots off kickouts on drives not playing off the post not playing off ball reversals they want to get downhill force teams to compact and then kick out is you know Pinson going to be able to, to one be efficient in those situations and make good decisions I think those are the that's the other thing you're gonna need right now. So is Tillman gonna be a guy who is a borderline all you know, all conference level type big? And are you gonna see Xavier Pinson you know, show some consistency that we've been waiting for? If those two things happen, then I think you've got a roster that can contend for an NCA tournament bid. If that if those two things don't happen, irrespective of injuries, then I think you've got a team that's gonna be pesky, they're gonna finish around ninth. They're going to be in that mix for ninth or tenth,
1: but probably they, win a couple games they shouldn't.
0: Yeah, they're going to pick off somebody they shouldn't
1: lose a couple build, they shouldn't. They shouldn't
0: and <laughs> you're, and you're going to turn the roster over and start again. So uh, that's not to say that you know you don't want to see Watson play better. You don't want to. Although see I don't play know with with
1: better. eligibility on question, we could just run it all back next year um, with the same five crew, guys and, coming in and, and and with the the five coming in. I mean.
0: Five, five, what's well, he what say? Five, y'all aren't staying. You,
1: you, you saw that, right? You saw that, like they're they're open to the possibility of like eligibility not counting. And I just like, I don't understand how you don't count eligibility. You're playing games. I understand, yeah. like you have your your the, like in football, you have the same you know four game rule for for guys to be able to red shirt. Uh, and I I think that's a good rule because you know if if guys miss games because of uh, because of COVID, but the, you know you need a freshman to kind of step in. Like you can still hold him back in other games and and maintain that eligibility. But it doesn't make sense to me that we're just going to be like, no, nah, this entire season is a mulligan. I don't think. I, like I, like just... the SEC is playing ten games, or at least they're they're going to try. Yeah. Uh, I mean... And and like <laughs> basketball, like they're 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 going to play twenty five to twenty seven games, and it's just and that's before the NCAA tournament. That's a full season. Yeah,
0: they're going to. Just count it. Just count the season, it, it, and just turnover. But to get back to the point, there, I think really at the end of the day, it, it it's can Pinson and Tillman, you know, be reliable everyday contributors. That that to me is what this roster needs. You know, it's interesting to ask questions about Torrance Watson shooting. Will Kobe Brown be a little bit more assertive as a driver? Is Mark Smith going to be healthy? All those things matter. You know, I don't want to cast those out and say they're irrelevant, but Pinson and Tillman, to me, are, and what they do this season, you know, are dictate where Missouri winds up in the pecking order, or are going to play a large role in dictating where they wind up in the pecking
1: order. And Matt's trying to kind of give away my Missouri preview.
0: I mean, is it giving away the preview? <laughs> I mean, what... I mean...
1: I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but... I, you know, I think what you do is you look at so, you know, like we were kind of talking beforehand, and and each of the the team previews I go through, and I kind of pick two guys who I think are gonna be standouts, uh, and for the most part, all of those standouts are guys who I think are probably gonna be the two best players in the team. Um, but I went a different route this year when I was kind of picking those players, and I went with with Penson and Tillman. Um, and you all can read about this probably a week before the season starts. Um, but the main reason is, like, th- we know what we're going to get from Drew Smith. Drew Smith is a great player. Like, he is just a, a terrific Board, college basketball player.
0: Borderline all con- preseason all-conference guy for me.
1: But he what Drew Smith is going to give you is is consistency. And what we haven't gotten... And what Missouri needs is consistency from from two guys, and that's that's Penson and that's Tillman. Now, if, if if Torrance Watson wants to step up and be a you know an, an added threat on the wing, if Mark Smith uh, wants to be a 15 point night kind of guy, great. Uh, but we'll I still you, think the like the uh, the crux of the season is going to come down to Tillman and Penson. If those guys are consistent and and play well. Missouri is incident play tournament team. If if they're if they're what they've been uh the last couple years, which is inconsistent, uh, occasionally brilliant, um but mostly frustrating, then you know Missouri is going to be a bottom half of the conference team.
0: And the one thing that I that I do want to touch on from CJ's piece is you know he it, in that piece Konzo Martin said he you know he wants to he could see this team going up to 10 deep where no guys play more than 30 minutes a night, which would be great because you don't want to break Drew Smith. You would really like Drew Smith to not be playing 33 minutes a night, wearing down and, you know, kind of fading down the stretch. Um, the The other facet that he mentioned was they think they can play a little bit faster this year. And in that piece, there's two things that you know, can help them do that. One, don't foul, because that's dead balls, and you can't... It's harder to create tempo off a dead ball than it is off a rebound or off an inbound. And also cut turnovers down. Like, just quit turning the ball over. Just value possessions. And I say that because if Tillman commits silly fouls, it makes that hard. If X isn't valuing the ball, those are possessions that get wasted. Ideally, what you would have is you could have Tillman... You know, being able to go to the glass, quick outlet, fire it, and then have your guards get out and transition. You could look and have Tillman sprinting render remember or coming down to set a drag screen and some sort of action that way, but you could be assertive off misses. And I, and I wrote this back in the spring. That's really where I think Missouri can find a way to pick the tempo up and to play the way that Martin wants to and to sort of, you know, shift the style of this offense is if they can just have guys on the floor, if they can know execute consistently you know they can begin to transition into a team that plays a little faster that spreads the floor out a bit more it's a bit more of attacking in terms of what it wants to do off the bouncing and in ball screens and then trying to come down you know set set up run guys off some screening action and then score off reversals you know the, having x and tillman on the floor is vital to make that version happen if that's what Konzo Martin wants this roster to be, he's going to need those guys to be on the floor. Mm -hmm. So I think you can really see kind of the through line for what's, what this team needs. It needs a consistent Tilton, and it needs a consistent Benson.
1: Yeah. I think like the, the key for me is, you know, everybody talks about the improvement down the stretch. And I think one of the things that, um, that the, the change in the offensive approach really did was it, it put good free throw shooters at the free throw line to make, easy points and and when Pinson and Drew Smith uh in particular uh and really Missouri is a team that is full of really good free throw shooters you look at you know Mark Smith and and Torrance Watson and and, you know even Tillman for a big uh you know shoots free throws pretty well um you know that's gonna take your I think CJ mentioned like they were at like 0.86 points per possession and and got it up to like one point 2 or 1.3 um down that stretch and like that's a that's a huge gain and a lot of that i think came from uh them just being more aggressive and and getting to the free throw line uh in a way that you know produced obviously a lot of points and when you're when you're sending good free throw shooters to the line you're gonna you're gonna score a lot of points like it's it it's not rocket science it's uh it's not complicated um you need to find ways to manufacture points and for a team that struggled to make outside shots, uh, that was a, a really good way to do that. Now, if this is a team that, uh, you know, like another, one of the, the questions that we had, um, I was kind of, you know, slight pivot, but still kind of on the same line of conversation, uh, at, you know, Kevin free tweets, um, wanted to know about like player development And if there are guys that might make it a little bit of a different leap since Michael Porter Sr. uh, is no longer in the program as the director of player development. And I just want to say, like,
0: that's not that's
1: not like that. Like, that's just a title. Um, The entire coaching staff is responsible for developing the players. And and that starts at Conza Martin is the assistant coaches. Uh, You know, the, the everyone works at developing but. The the biggest part of that is the player himself. Like the player has to be in the gym working to get better. So if if Torrance wants to suddenly decide that he wants to go back to his freshman year and shoot thirty six, thirty seven percent from three point range, well, that's that's a that's a great thing, but you don't want to count on that. And I think like you know, getting back to like the the manufacturing points, like when the outside shooting is failing you, you have to find ways to to get points and and the change in offense was that I thought was helpful to them the most was that it put two really good free throw shooters in positions to attack in a league where guys are really athletic and they're going to go for block shots and uh, and they foul a lot and they you know refs call a lot of fouls and they're giving the benefit to the offensive player Uh, and so it's, it's a smart you know calculated move that I think that Missouri will if they're not kind of taking that approach to start the season like I'll kind of question what the hell's going on Um, but I think that that's what they need to be doing is like you said focus on on playing with a bit more pace but attacking early on getting to the free throw line manufacturing points and then if you if you are shooting the ball better great you know then when you are driving towards the basket you're not just trying to get to the free throw line uh, you can, you know, kick the ball out and, and get somebody uh, an open shot.
0: My hope is to, to sort of piggyback off that. You know, we talked about Tillman's inconsistency. Now I've written this, you know, the last two off seasons. At his best, Tillman's a really good ball mover out of the post. I think he makes good decisions. And I thought he got better in the face of double teams. But when they tried to route the offense through him and, you know, play through the post, Teams just sent hard doubles. Missouri didn't make enough jumpers last year to really take the pressure off him. And I, th- you know, I think it doesn't mean you abandon post ups entirely. I think you can still try and find a way to, you know, to facilitate getting him some post touches there. But the one thing I like about the shift in the offense here is, I've always thought that Tillman has really, really good coordination. He's got good spatial awareness. His feet are fantastic. His hands are great. You know. He seems like a really really good option to use in spread pick and rolls that you could bring him out, have him as a roller and just, you know, give yourself a guy who you can hit on the move who's going to be able to snag passes and finish. And I think for him that's just rather than have him hand fighting on the block, rather than have him trying to you know establish position, just you know, putting him in some space and asking him to, you know, get to play downhill with some of these guys is another good option. I just think it it's a nice way for you to diversify how he's getting his touches and maybe it reduces some risk. Now, some people might say, oh, he's probably just going to pick up a million illegal screens. Maybe, but a lot of times an illegal screen is not the fault of the big, it's the fault of the guard who doesn't take their man into the big. So some people might say, you know, having Tillman function more as a, as a screener might put him at risk. I, I tend to think, though, that when illegal screens happen, it's more the fault of a, of the dribbler who doesn't know how to take his man into the screen. But I just like the idea of putting him in, in space and diversifying how he gets his touches and, you know, seeing if that can, you know, give him some confidence and give him some easier plays than trying to fight through, you know, two guys that have come over to, you know, make his life heck or to make his life hell. So I think that that's another thing that this offense can do is it can just give, it's a little bit of a different role and it can, you know, diversify where he gets some offense from. So I, I think that's the other underplayed value of what, what they can do with this schematic shift.
1: Yeah. Overall, like I, I think like player development is, is just one of those things that I don't know, like we've talked about it being nonlinear. We've talked about uh, it not really being something that I think like, I, I think that a lot of coaches kind of take hits on, um, you know, developing guys. And the reality is, is you know, as a former coach, like, I I know the guys that are really, really, really want to be there and want to show up and want to be great players. Uh, and those guys are the guys that are there early, they're getting up shots. And, and you know, a coach sets up a structured, uh, you know, improvement time where the player shows up and and gets the work uh you know that is allowed by the NCAA as far as their their time allotted um you know and and coaches sort of script that stuff and what they're going to work on and and the things that they're going to try to develop um you know but it really comes down to you know the player who's going to grab a manager you know after the session's over and be like hey I want to I want to keep doing this and and working beyond that and I think You know like when you when you look at like we know for a fact that like Javon Pickett is a guy that is just a gym rat and loves being in the gym Javon Pickett's also a guy that uh, we've also talked about having just a a limited body like there's just only so much that he can get out of out of what he is Um, you know maybe he takes some sort of like Jordan Geist like leap Um, you know I think a lot of people were sort of uh, amazed at what Jordan Geist kind of became uh, as a senior. Um, you know, but I just don't think that there's a whole lot of guys in this roster that you're looking at and just sort of seeing as as like future pros. Um, so it, it's really going to come down to, like we've said, it's going to come down to Drew Smith being as consistent as as he was last year, Mark Smith being healthy, and being as consistent as he was when healthy, um, you know, and then whatever you get from from Xavier Pinson and, and Jeremiah Tillman, and I think that that sort of foursome gives you everything that you need. I like what they 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 can get from Drew Bugs. I like what they can get if uh, you know if Watson decides he's going to shoot the ball better. Uh, you know, Kobe Brown. We've talked about him uh, as far as being kind of a wild card and a guy that. Uh, you know could potentially um, take another step and 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 you know and being more of an impact guy but it's gonna come down to those like four guys if those four guys are consistent and good it, this is a team that and I kind of go back to like what we were looking at Missouri last year like I was confident that Missouri had a team that was a, at least a top half team. And they just, they were a, a, everything that I thought they were going to be, they just shot the ball poorly. I didn't think they were, they were going to shoot the ball. Uh, I mean, I didn't think they were going to be like 40% three-point shooters. Uh, I didn't necessarily think they'd be 28% three-point shooters. And that's what happened. So uh, I look at what I thought last year, if. If Missouri has the kind of performance that I expect, I think this is a this is a team that can be, like, top six. Um, and, I like, when I say top six, I don't think they're going to be, like, one, two, or three. Um, but with the right conference poll, I could see them maybe getting as high as four. But I think more likely, like, to me, like, six is kind of, like, what I think they're stealing. Because, you know, the league did improve its recruiting. Yeah. Um, but that's that's up to like like we said that's really up to uh, getting consistency from Pinson, getting consistency uh, and the kind of play that you want from Tillman, uh, and and then the other guys kind of filling around. That's a lot to ask.
0: It is. Um, I I think their ceiling's probably six, just like you. Um, that's a that's a team that's probably a nine or ten seed in March. Um, but given quibbling about seedings and where they go is irrelevant at this point. the The program just needs to, and we've said it before, just needs to get into it, get into a consistent run where it's making trips into March and reestablishing itself as a t- as a program that can get there. Um, is going to be competitive year in year out. Is going to be a that has a defined style, that has a culture that, you know, is going to produce consistent, you know, results. Um, I think, you know, injuries, you know, have played a big role in the last two years. Um, you know, it's incumbent on good, on, you know, Mizzou to stay healthy this year if they do. Um, I think they give themselves a chance. But... It's going to be really fascinating to see where they sort of land in that mix with Texas A and M, Ole Miss, and Auburn, which I kind of and South and Auburn; those are kind of the teams I think they wind up with in that group. You know, teams that I think you could make a case for them being on the bubble or you know sliding back and you know just being nit teams and you know occasionally surprising someone each night. Um, Missouri is. Will be the most experienced team. in The league they're going to return the most statistical production. That, but the league is going to be a little bit deeper than it was a year ago, um, and we're going to be a broken record here. Production's only so good so long as it's consistent, and you know all the stats that Missouri's going to throw out about the minutes it brings back, all the points it brings back. You know, those stats were amassed on a roster that was inconsistent. You know, can they put together consistent performances? Can they get to 10-8 and eight in this conference? Can they put together, you know, some quad one and quad two wins and get themselves into the discussion for the NCAA tournament? That That's really what it comes down to for this group. If that doesn't happen, um, I don't know that there's going to be a, a seat warming, but I definitely think you're going to be hitting the reset button next season and it's going to be a younger roster and you're going to be going into, you know, year five, year six, still trying to establish a consistent identity for this program. And it's got to happen at some point. So this year it it sort of feels like a a make or break point or getting awfully close to that for them to kind of establish the, you know, the the barometer that uh, Konzo Martin thinks he needs to be successful here.
1: As you like to say, spend more money. Um. Spend more money. <laughs> spend uh, more money. So as always, one um, of the more. In- I just want to. Th- in- I just
0: want to throw this out here. The last <laughs> bit, I say that people think I'm joking. Missouri has not ranked better than ninth in in spending since on basketball since they joined the SEC. And they haven't been, I think, better than... The one year where they were higher than that was the year they fired Kim Anderson. And that was because of the buyouts they had to pay.
1: Had to pay some buyouts. uh, Had to, you know, sign a new coach.
0: Yeah, it's... I really... People will complain about the recruiting and about the performance areas here, but go look at what teams spend on basketball in this conference. Missouri is not uh, this is i have it in front of me in 2012 and 13th missouri ranked ninth in spending 2013-14 ninth in spending 2014-15 13th ahead of only mississippi state 2015-16 dead last 2016-17 they were second but they fired kim that year Conzo martin's first year they were then uh 11th last year or in 2018 and 19 they were 12th and we don't have The budget number's in for 2019-20, but again, Missouri is not spending like a top half of the SEC team. Uh,
1: We don't have the numbers for a year when Michael Porter Sr.'s contract comes off the books and they uh, inserted Konzo's longtime friend into that assistant coach spot who is not making as much as Michael Porter Sr.
0: Yeah, Missouri has basically... Only outspent Georgia and Mississippi State in turn in basketball in the conference. So, th- when I say spend more money, I I say that half in jest. But if you think Missouri's committed in terms of resources allocated, like just in raw dollars, that that's not the case. It's that they're they're getting outspent, and they've and their rate and th- they've spent more money in recent years, but they're still the rate of spending is still getting trumped by their sec peers it's 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 still there so if you want to talk about why isn't missouri recruiting better why isn't missouri performing better sometimes part of it is just what are we willing to invest in the program so that's that's the end of my spiel there but there's actual evidence behind the call to spend more money
1: and you i mean you've been diving into that quite a bit that I, i think we'll probably maybe after the season i think it'd probably be a good idea to sort of take stock and then and, and dive deeper into that I mean, possibly in the preseason if you want to put it all together but i just think it's really interesting um uh, you know we were talking about uh the other day like alabama you know makes some list for another five star recruit after they had I, did they land a five-star recruit the other day Am I, yeah they landed jd Davis. that's it that's all uh, right that's what i was thinking of uh, and everyone's just like, oh, man, like, Alabama has always recruited well. Like, Alabama spends on basketball. They spend on football. Alabama spends more money on football than Missouri spends on athletics. So, <laughs> and it, like, that's not a lie. Like, Alabama spends $120-some-odd million a year on football. Missouri's athletics budget, uh, I, last I checked, was in the 90s.
0: This is what you need to know about Alabama between 2012 and 2019. So aside, last year's numbers aren't in yet. But they ranked 21st in average spending in, among high majors at $9.3 million a year on basketball. They spend more than Illinois. They spend more than Virginia. They spend more than North Carolina. They spend more than Wisconsin. They spend more than Florida. spend more than Michigan. Missouri, if you were to look at its spending for that same period, where does Missouri rank? They're fiftieth in average spending among high majors.
1: That's about where they were uh, in like the the Ken Palm rankings, weren't they?
0: Yeah, it's somewhere close to like there. Four, I think they were like forty fifth uh, or something. Yep, is where they have been like in the Ken Palm rings since Ken Palm's been doing it. So, and if you look at like if you look at correlations between recruiting. Average, the average recruit rating and spending Missouri is recruiting the type of player you'd expect for the money they spend so if you think Missouri is whiffing when they're taking a guy whose average rating is 90 in the 247 composite nope that's about where they should be based on spending so it's <laughs> it really is like at the end of the day I mean there's it's not completely one to one but there's some just when you throw the two numbers together, the correlation and the variance rates are pretty good in a vacuum, so again, it if you're if you're talking about Missouri being why Missouri should be a top half of the SEC program, I agree with you. But its spending is around tenth, its recruiting is around that, and its attendance is around that. When you are tenth in, you know, those key areas, you're probably gonna show up around tenth in the standings. Unless you're just unless you hit it out of the park with a higher and maybe that's Conzo Martin, but he's also had a bunch of injuries that have hampered him. So that's, that's my spiel. Uh, we'll do more dives on that, but it's, it, it, it's not hard to look at the, <laughs> that number and draw a lot of conclusions based on what spending tells you.
1: Right. Um, I think like the financial side of things is, is such like an interesting topic. Uh, and I know that we could probably continue to go deeper on this. Um, we are kind of running up against, uh, our specific time. I, I do want to acknowledge, um, so we did have one other question that was from, uh, at KW Zulu who wanted to know about the non-conference schedule. We did kind of talk about that. Um, and, I, you know, I, we're still figuring out what the schedule is going to be. Is it, it, I think what we've kind of talked about, like, we kind of know that they'll have certain games in schedule. Uh, they're going to do everything they can to make sure those games are on the schedule. Those are going to be the rivalry games. It's just a matter of, like, what else is going to fill out. Um, but my favorite question came uh, because Chester Ray Barfer just knows me too well, Matt, at this point, And he asked... If each player on the team was a cocktail, what would they be? Um, since we are already at uh, at 48 minutes, I think, something like that, what I want to do is is I want to explore this topic more in depth on the next pod. But I, wa- I want – so you and I did a quick brainstorm before we started recording uh, and had a few – like we didn't complete the team, but I think we got about half we felt pretty good – Uh, with so we'll leave a teaser how's this we'll do a teaser uh and I'm just gonna put it on in into your lap Matt because I'm gonna say of of the ones that we brainstormed what was your like favorite uh correlation between cocktail and player (laughs) that's right that that was a fantastic uh a fantastic connection um so so does anybody know what a rusty nail is? Or do you do you know I, what it is?
0: I vaguely have a notion of it. I'm having to I'm double checking to make sure that I my <laughs> my memory of a rusty nail is actually accurate here.
1: Um It's it's a very it's a very sort of like old school old, old school cocktail. Like it's it's like one of those like tried and true 50s Yeah,
0: oh god, I remember this. Yeah, my my grandpa enjoyed these. Um it, rambouille and scotch oh god i this is i th- I, th- I had a sip of one of these when i was like nine and it made me not want to drink again until i was like 16 <laughs> it was just disgusting <laughs> like it's oh god it was it was not good so not yeah.
1: not only does like the like the name of the cocktail it's a rusty nail not only does that fit like mitchell smith's game like because he is he's just like he's just like that that you know kink in the armor for like nobody wants to play against the guy he he, he plays hard he rebounds hard he takes charges i think about like uh the illinois game when he took the charge against oh uh, uh, what what's 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 the guy's name
0: is it cockburn
1: no 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 it was against uh the uh the white forward that is uh oh was he Georgian? georgie georgie <laughs> georgie georgie Vili. yeah so he takes the charge and just like he's like he's pumping and you could just see like illinois just like getting irritated by mitchell smith so so rusty nails like like the perfect moniker for him but not only that like it's this old school just like kind of grit your teeth and get through uh approach to playing basketball uh, and I think he's a really good fit for like Kanza Martin. What Konza Martin wants to do, he's a guy who's kind of accepted his role. Like he's not he's not expecting to to be a 35 minute uh, kind of guy. He he's happy to just do whatever the team needs, and that is the quintessential rusty nail. Uh, it's it's a necessary cocktail to have in your arsenal. Uh, it's not always something that is enjoyable, but damn it, it gets the job done. <laughs>
0: You just want to get good and liquored up. I mean, two o- Like, the, the the directions here are simple. Mix two ounces blended scotch, half ounce drambouille, one dash of bitters. Yeah, so, just,
1: so drambouille is basically just like. It's like a scotch liqueur.
0: Yeah, it's. It's like
1: sweetened scotch. It's like. It's kind of like yeah. scotch and honey, is basically kind of like uh, the flavor of it.
0: Uh, nah. Just bad memories of drambouille. But. Yeah, so that's my favorite. Is Mitchell Smith is the rusty nail? That's that's what I'd go with.
1: Yeah, I thought I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, so we we've got I think probably three or four others that I feel really good about. Um,
0: we got to workshop the rest. But
1: yeah, we 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 need to workshop. So we'll have the uh, the full reveal for the next podcast. I'll have some time as I stare off into the woods of the Daniel Boone National Forest. Um. To 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 think about. Mizzou players and and their you know their their what cocktail they are uh, and we'll get there, but it it'll be in two weeks. <laughs> so uh, for everybody that is uh, subscribed to the channel, thank you for subscribing. Uh, you can follow Matt on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, any hate mail goes to Mitch. He's the one that that puts us up to all this. Um, but uh, yeah, so. I, I do think that uh, you've had now like four or five podcasts of, of Before the box score in a row. Those guys will be back uh, this weekend and next week with more podcasts, um, talking all things LSU, where Missouri is apparently going to take on the reigning national champs, shorthanded. Can't wait to watch that game. Uh, it is all kinds of exciting. It's, it's a good time to be watching college football when we're, we're canceling games. We're missing uh, significant players from rosters because they possibly came in contact with somebody who tested positive for for coronavirus. It's a it's a good time to to be a college sports fan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank God I got the Premier League and Bundesliga back. Thank God, thank God I got European soccer back.
1: All right, so uh, yeah. Uh, Matt's happy that soccer is uh, there uh, The NBA is almost wrapped up um, Unfortunately But uh, college basketball is right around the corner Matt We'll we'll be talking about a lot of it So thanks for tuning in Hit that subscribe, hit that like Whatever you have to do uh, Share it to your friends We'll talk to you again in two weeks With all kinds of players and talk to.